Welcome to Brand Story Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Today on Brand Story Inc. for the second consecutive episode, we will welcome back a returning guest, Brian Morrissey, who first appeared on Brand Story Inc. as the president of Digiday back in 2020, rejoins us today after spending the last year plunging into the creator economy where he launched, managed, and operates The Rebooting, a digital media company dedicated to the mechanics of building sustainable media companies. I invite you to join thousands of free subscribers who receive his twice-weekly deep-dive email, and now Brian is also back on the podcast circuit as well. Visit The Rebooting, that's T-H-E-R-E-B-O-O-T-I-N-G dot substack Dot com and you can sign up there. Brian and I went deep on a number of topics, including the premium value of niche media, the archaic infrastructure that still propagates scale media, and the journey of building a media company from the ground up through the eyes of the very same guy who was the president of digital media's most renowned trade publication or media company. Brian's no BS approach, just like Sean Griffey from Industry Dive in the previous episode, offer refreshing and insightful C-suite level conversation about the current and near future state of niche media companies. We recorded this episode on December 13th, 2021. Welcome back, Brian. Great to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks, Jay. I think it was, uh, I think it was a different time when when we spoke last. Yeah, it was quite a, quite a long time and you've been quite busy. So I think the first time we had you on Brand Story Inc, you were the president of Digiday, Digital yeah. Media Publishing's premier B2B trade publisher. Those probably needs no introduction to this audience. But today you're more than a year in as the owner, publisher, do-it-all creator, economy entrepreneur of The Rebooting, which as I understand focuses on the details of building sustainable media businesses with those building them. So I yeah. wanted to dig into the, the details, explain the vision of the rebooting and take us back to pre-launch to how you got to here. Well, I think, you know, after I left Digiday, um, I had basically a year to figure stuff out. Um, there's a lot of stuff I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to spend that time productively. So I knew I wanted to start a newsletter. I started it immediately. I wasn't, I, I had an idea that it would become like what I would do mm-hmm. next. Um, but there's a lot I couldn't sort of understand with the market um, for a year. So I really used it as a way to like explore. Um, and, you know, what I found was the stuff that really resonated, but the stuff that I was just more importantly, most passionate about um, was the part of, you know, what we were doing at Digiday, was, which was really focused on how to build sustainable media businesses. Um, and I thought that what was unique was, you know, we wrote a lot about that stuff, but also had to like, you know, do a lot of that myself. Cause you know, being the president of the company, I was the editor in chief, um, of Digiday and, but I also oversaw two other publications and our product team and tech team and our membership program and built that and stuff. So, uh, with our team. And so I thought that would give like a sort of unique perspective because of what I found was, you know, the most valuable parts of like our events were, were things like town halls and working mm-hmm. groups where people, you know, who are running these businesses, you know, shared, um, with themselves because everyone faces, you know, similar challenges. So that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to do something independent, you know, um, really like working with people really loved, you know, the teams that we built there. Um, but at the same time, you know, you get through different parts of your career. And I think, you know, a lot of times you're, you're spending, all your time 
you know, really managing people and dealing yeah. with the internal, you're so internally focused. Yeah. I mean, I used to, I used, you know, towards the last like year or so at Digiday, I would like, I went through this period where I was like <laughs> compiling my time to try to figure out how much was time mm-hmm. was spent on, on, on quote unquote content, which is the product really. Yep. And it was exceedingly small. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of frustrating to me a little bit. I mean, I like doing all the other stuff and I am doing it now, but at the same time, it's different when you're when you have an entire we have a team to try to create a product versus create a product yourself. I mean, there's upsets and downsides to that, obviously. Well, I, I'm really curious because you know, while Digiday was not um, you know the New York Times in terms of its staffing, it was a, a giant of of influence, right? And you had staff, and you had all this, and then you find yourself on you know quite almost literally on the other side of the microphone like today right where you were you were you were the one who had all the insights and your company was covering digital media publishing and sustainable businesses and those types of things and and i loved um and they're still great brian's podcast from digiday that's some of the like and i because i loved you had this no bullshit factor you would you would try so hard to get people to get like real (laughs) and you did a really good job of it and I, i i i'm really curious you have all of this information in your head, right? You know how the inside of successful businesses work. And then you're out on your own and you're starting, you know, you're the big buzzword of the creator economy. Here you are with this incredible network, this this great foundation of knowledge, and you're starting the rebooting. Take me through what that was like, right? You had you. And so I, I'm really always curious to think about how, how you start, where you start, and what your thought process yeah. was. Well, I think like a lot of people, you know, you make lists, you make lists of the stuff you're good at, um, the stuff you don't want to do as much, stuff you want to do more of, and then what the market sort of values and the opportunities um, there are. And, you know, that was the sort of basic thing that I went through. Um, like, I know I, I knew I didn't, you know, I thought for a little bit about, you know, starting a new publication in a totally different area, like, mm-hmm. you know. I've already been through that with, you know, we, we started glossy and fashion and beauty and, and modern retail and retail. Um, but then you give away, you give up on a lot of advantages. You got to always think about what are the areas you have leverage in mm-hmm. um, and experience is leverage, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just is network is leverage, you know? And so you have to, you have to figure out whether you really want to start all over again. I'm in a totally different field. Um, mm-hmm. You can do that. I mean, because like, you know, building these things, I don't want to say it's formulaic, but like, you know, you really want to be able to to do this in, in one area and then do it in, in several areas if you want to build like you know a business of any sort of scale. Um, so I just really decided that, and I just know from before like you know I'm really big into focus and stuff. So I yeah. really wanted to focus in on a particular area and just sort of overcover that part. And this is just you know what I found to me personally most like fulfilling and interesting. And and luckily. It, in my view, it matched up to a need in the market. I mean, I've seen like I've talked with a lot of people who start publications, and I feel like there's there's pretty much a divide between people who come from the sort of content side, which is more like I want this thing to exist in the world, and I think there's a big enough market to it, to more of the operator business side that are like you know crunching the numbers and finding like the opening and stuff. And mm-hmm. I think that's mostly because those people are not doing it they're not creating the product. Right. right it's right. like, if, right. if you're going to, you're going to put something out in the world, you, you got to give a shit mm-hmm. and really want it to be out in the world because it's really hard. And, and it's not like, 
it's not it overnight just, success. Yeah, it, it can't just. So if you're gonna hire me. someone, if you're gonna hire someone to quote unquote do the content, like I get that approach. But I think if you're going to quote unquote do the content, which is actually build the product, mm-hmm. um, you can't really afford to just be some like spreadsheet jockey or like mm-hmm. PowerPoint hero. <laughs> I love it. Well, you just you you decided to start with email product right on Substack with the rebooting. Yeah. Take us through that process because, you know, those that are in the weeds, you know, there's there's Reddit threads of Reddit threads on Substack itself. So are what there? made you go down that road? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. What made you, what made you um, you know, talk us through that decision of you knew you wanted to make an email product and going on Substack and how it's worked for you? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, a lot of it is like, you know, everyone in like B2B, you know, email has been the the workhorse mm-hmm. of business to business media for a long time. It's incredibly valuable. Um, you know, we focused at Digiday very heavily on on email and getting email subscribers, and, and it was in a, a critical part of the middle of the funnel. Um, you you just have to build habit, you have to build loyalty, and, and email is really good to do that. So that's first and foremost because you sort of know you're starting mm-hmm. out if you're going to do a B two B publication that media is or that email is going to be play an incredibly important role. Um, but I think second. Darily is, and I think it's somewhat underrated, I guess, a little bit, is, you know, when you're trying to figure out a product and stuff, it, it's better to, you know, just start fast. You want to get something out there and you want to start mm-hmm. learning. And email is amazing for that. And particularly, you know, Substack is, I think it's almost underrated. You know, you can really start a media business in like 10 minutes with Substack. Mm-hmm. You just hook up a Stripe account and away you go. I mean, I decided not to start with subscriptions just for a whole bunch of different reasons. Right. But um, yeah, I just I just know from experience that you need a top of the funnel and stuff. And until I sort of figure out the product, I don't think it's smart to to charge because like you could end up figuring out the product. You could end up figuring out a, a let's say a one thousand dollar a year membership product. But if you rush out like a two hundred dollar a year mm-hmm. subscription product, then you're kind of screwed because like you didn't. And there, look, there's different sides to it. I'm sure, like some of the operator side is like, just put it out, put it out, throw it against, throw it against the wall, throw it against the wall. And I yep. get that, but yep. I just don't want to do that. So no, I um, think it's smart. I think it's smart to build a base too, right? Like you're you're establishing yeah. a new brand. You want to, you know, uh, really try to focus on that. To then, once you've got people, I think then you know, create more premium value. But I mean, I yeah, think... but it's also figuring out where the value is, right? Correct. I mean, like, yeah. you, you, you don't know, what you don't Great know. Point. And I think a lot of times people, I don't care how much experience you are and how much you think you know about something, about an audience or a group, like you really don't until you get into it. You have hypotheses, but you got to like prove those things out. Um, and nobody who's ever done anything um, it never ends up the way you think it's going to going yeah. into it. I don't think it's like so I've never funny. heard anyone's like, yeah, you know, we had this, you know, we had this idea and then, you know, we got a group together and then we get in and then just like kept growing and then it was great. And like, no, that's not the way it works. So I believe in planning, but more for the process than the, the outcome. So I've kind of looked at this as a little bit like, almost like a project like year by year and just see what, um, you know, what can be accomplished in, in that time. I mean, I'm happy so far with, um, you know, the growth it's, it's always, everything's always hard. Um, yeah. 
So, explain, explain the growth. Like when you set out, did you have goals or did you just kind of say, let's experiment, see where we are and, and, and where are you in terms of subscribers? Yeah, no, I had goals. I mean, like, you know, subscriber goals and mm-hmm. stuff like this, but they were all just kind of made up. Sure. I mean, all the numbers, I mean, maybe other places are, are more dialed in, but like a lot of numbers on forecasts when you're starting from scratch are just made up. I hate Like, that. I mean, they're just, <laughs> and it's mostly because like, you have to have numbers and like i know we started new publications and it was like you know i was like well we need goals for the end of the and i'm like how based on what like i have process don't you i have zero data i'm (laughs) making it up i'm doing that right now brian i'm doing that right now i'm I'm like i've I've, we're launching i can't talk about it but we're launching a a significant new media business and you know literally over the weekend i'm working on the pro forma and i went into the partners and the investors was like okay can we just all go into this knowing we're making this up? Like, yeah. I feel I'm pretty confident we're running a media business for 21 years. Like, I know the business cold, but you can't predict if, you know, original programming line item is going to be, you know, 1 million, 0, 1 million, or 10 million in year one. I'll put the numbers down. They'll make you feel really good, but, you know, it's yeah, just. Yeah, you need data to, and then you get data that, you know, might, like, so. Yeah, I mean it's it's grown nicely. I mean I think I have like six thousand or so subscribers. That's awesome. It's not bad. I mean I have I have like a fifty percent open rate, so that's good. And that's the post awesome. got like over ten thousand views now. So I think overall the audience growth has been it's been numerically, I would give myself like a B minus, maybe C plus, but I think like I'm getting the right people. Like and I think one of the things that's important when you're starting out is is to really dig into the sort of it's like to do the stuff that don't that doesn't scale because like you can like when you don't have a ton of data you can literally go through your database and like make sure and you can start bucketing people and you can understand if you're if you're attracting the kinds of people that you wanted to attract because sometimes you might not um and you might need to change course a little bit but i think overall the types of people and the type of people that you know I, i hear from are the right people and i think that's important i think sometimes people like hide behind spreadsheets and stuff like this yeah Um, i mean i've had this conversation brian uh this guy named um john wall street right who works for penske media and he has like ten thousand ish email subscribers and you and i've talked about this topic before but it is the most powerful ten thousand it's like there's not a there's not a sports team league owner executive right it's in the sports business um vertical and it's incredible. And he recently did an article on um, Levita Baseball, on Levita Sports. We rebranded our Latino sports media company. And mm-hmm. he did it, and he sent it out. It went to his 10,000 subscribers, and it prof- it's profoundly impacting our business. Like inbound calls, yeah. right? It's like, and if you'd gone out to the marketplace, be like, 10,000, why would we spend money? We didn't, you know, and he just did an article on it. And I think to your point, like the 6,000 that you have, I think it's the number one mistake c-suites make as it relates to b2b businesses they get caught up in fear of missing out so they're on six platforms they don't even know their audience is there and they're chasing vanity metrics where i've talked to ceos i'm like how many how many buyers of your product or service are there in the world if you had 100 and they'll say twenty thousand, you know and it's like why are you trying to care about numbers then i i'm i'm totally biased on this but i mean i know from the inside like so much of the distribution of like the quote-unquote existing like legacy players it's just built in it's seo and stuff you see it like you know they put out tweets that supposedly are 
was one I won't call them out, but like right. yeah, they got a million followers on Twitter, right? Yeah. And they and like you look at their tweets and like one person likes it. I'm like, how is that possible? Yeah, how exactly. is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. Because in early Twitter, they were one of the recommended accounts because Twitter was trying to suck up to an advertising publication. Mm. But they still bank all the numbers. They don't actually have that reach. Mm-hmm. Like I know personally the stuff that I write now it has a broader reach than if I had published it on Digiday. Hmm. 100%. Easily, already. Explain I mean, that. I've seen the Explain numbers. Explain that to me. How does that because, possible? Because you're talking about the actual people who are reading it because you have... You, yeah, okay. because you have less... Con- I mean, there's, you know, yeah. we didn't produce a ton of content, but, mm-hmm. you know, you, you produce like 15 articles, you're fractioning, you're fracturing your audience. You know, there's the, the reality is... You know, people skim a lot of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. so you get emails, but like to actually have engage, deep engagement, you know, on um, on specific pieces of content, mm-hmm. absolutely, without a doubt, on a regular basis. Um, That's, but I think you know, and the thing is, like, what people don't realize is, like, I know I can deliver for like our sponsors to the same and usually a higher degree than the people with far bigger reach mm-hmm. already. Like, be, just because you have a far more engaged audience at least that's what i'm banking on um and when you have i'm not trying to you know i saw like morning brew sponsored by manscaped this morning like i'm not <laughs> trying to too. i'm not trying to move like a bunch of like uh, uh body hair razors because you got to move a lot of those right <laughs> but you know like uh, like today i just did you know my sponsor Silverblade Partners, thank you, Bernard at Silverblade Partners. You know, they do a cash flow um, solution that's kind of like factoring, but it's not factoring and mm-hmm. it's not like a, these are these are gigantic deals, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Bernard gets like, you know, um, uh, hopefully I'll deliver, you know, a dozen to 20 mm-hmm. leads or so good leads to them. You know, that that makes a lot of sense for those businesses. Then um, you don't need to deliver um thousands and thousands of people if you do like i mean i had someone early on was like oh we want someone to download our app I'm like i am not the right person for that yeah yeah <laughs> like, no no exactly yeah i mean unless but, you're charging like fifteen hundred dollars per app download right <laughs> exactly I, I can't the numbers don't work just our our mere conversation right now is costing probably more money than than right. the value of this deal so right right you know, but i think for b2b when you have like a high high consideration product and it's targeted to a fairly narrow group of, of potential buyers. Um, you know, you can have big impact without like, you know, big vanity metrics. Agreed. Yeah. Especially to your point, if it's the right product and I mean, it's people who value your audience, it's, it's tremendous. 10 leads could, you're talking 10 leads could convert to millions of dollars of business. Right. I mean, so as but a- ultimately, everyone lives on spreadsheets, and so you have to like, you know. But I don't know. I, so far, it's been it's been fine with the reach and stuff like this. Because you do, you end up, you know, getting like, you know, ground down into like a, an eCPM for a lot of people, even a B two B. And I don't think it totally makes sense, but yeah, you know, as long as you can get within the ballpark. I mean, I know like the CPMs can be really high in in B two B media, and that's just the nature of the the business, so well, to speak. Yeah, I, I like to use. There's a guy. Um, I'm gonna miss is he's, he is like the Ferrari guy, the Ferrari something. Um, you've probably written on about him, and he's got oh, yeah? two thousand subscribers, and it's like secondary Ferrari auto buyers. <laughs> and he's like, run, you know, he does like a daily newsletter, and he he brings in two million dollars in gross revenue. 
a year. Yeah, that's awesome. Right? Like, it's just, I always like to use those niche numbers to talk about the quality yeah. of the thing, I mean, so. look, and, and, you know, there's always been that, right? Yep. It was like the mesothemia, like, keyword, right? Yep. Like, you yep. know, the, the, you know, the, the amount of money people would bid on that or it was, was always, like, insane and stuff like this. And so, yeah, I think, I think people are starting to realize it with the, the sort of, you know, it's been marketed a little bit better with the 1000 true fans and stuff like this, but it's always existed that, mm-hmm. you know, people that are incredibly hard to find, um, are very valuable, particularly if the product or service that, that they're really, uh, passionate about, uh, is high priced, um, which Ferrari's a believer are pretty high priced. Yeah. Well, I mean, every guest I think I've had on the show has talked about, you know, first party data being, the primary enterprise value driver for their media businesses, right? Obviously, you know, yeah. this is almost code for email at this time. At this yeah, time, basically. Right? But <laughs> First party data sounds a lot better. It sounds so fancy. So h- how do you look at the value of the rebooting in terms of what it's worth in building enterprise value? How are you looking at it from the big picture, mm-hmm. knowing you started with email and Substack, you just launched um, a podcast. Thanks for getting back into the game. Um, yeah. So how do you look at yeah, the picture? I mean, right now, um, I look at it as just email. Like I want to, like my focus is just to get, um, is to have, is to have the right people subscribing um, and opening, right? So mm-hmm. I don't want like, I want to keep like a 50% plus like open rate mm-hmm. um, and, and trim when, when needed. I think that's something people need to do. It's like people talk about their sub stack you know, if they're, they're like four years on, it's like, well, guess what? You got to like cut like 30% of your, the, the, that number you have mm-hmm. because the, that's just the reality. I mean, your email, mm-hmm. you're going to, your open rate goes down. Um, and that's just because some of the emails go dead or some people just mm-hmm. tune out or something like this and it'll hurt your deliverability. But anyway, I, I want to like really focus first and foremost on like, you know, engagement with the right people. Um, and then, learn more about them right because then i think you 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 end up moving people down the funnel right and so mm-hmm. you're getting the email is one thing but then you want to sort of be able to figure out a way to understand more about them right i think one of the one of the good things to b2b is like when people use their work email like a work email is way way more valuable at yeah. least to me like than like a gmail because i can understand something uh, about about you through your your email um and I think that's critical. And then you you append other data to it, right? I mean, you can. That's why in B two B you do like guides and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. It's like you know mm-hmm. we would put out like a guide to streaming and stuff like this because then the people who downloaded that, you know, it would be appended in their record that they were you know to us like a streaming intender. So all of a sudden, you know, when 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 we Digiday when Digiday would have a you know future of TV summit. Um, it could market to the right people. Yep. Um, so I think that's, yeah, that's important. But for me, it's like, you got to take steps. Like if you don't have like, if you don't have the audience you're after um, that is consistently and is like developing a habit with you, you like, you got no shot. So like, why worry about any sort of first party data strategy? <laughs> <laughs> I know there's a lot of people who, but I'm like, well, why, why even worry about it until you have, um, until you have this engaged audience, like there's always ways to like understand the audience better. But to me, it's like, and it was the same, like a DJ, I never wanted to like put 
friction, I guess, in front of people before they gave us the email. I'm like, once they once they hit enter with their email, do whatever you want. Right. Like, but like, right. you do not be like, you have to fill out these five five exactly. fields in order to get an email newsletter. I mean, right. you're just like right. hurting yourself here because every single extra field is going to hurt your completion rate. Well, so I want to zoom out for a second, right? As a guy who ran Digiday and is now um, building a new business, right? The rebooting. What's your vision for this? Are you looking to keep it tight? Are you looking to use the media publishing playbook and roll out once you engage an audience, all different types of products? What's your thought? Um, I, I don't totally know yet, uh, to be honest with you. Thank you for the um, honesty. Seriously. Yeah, no, I mean, serious. I don't think anyone does. I mean, the way I look at it, it's like, as I said, it's like, you know, yearly. Like, I mean, for this year, I plan on doing it, like, solo. Mm-hmm. Um, and understanding whether the opportunity is, you know, to add extra services. Right now, it's – it's uh, I, I sell sponsorships mm-hmm. and I think, you know, for the reason I, d- I decided not to do the subscription, like I said before, right. cause I, I don't fully understand the product yet. Um, but I knew I wanted a podcast and I just think you need to, you need to do step by step. And I know there's other people who are just like, you know, balls to the wall. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, I did, I did something with Sean Griffey uh, from industry guy and he's like, you know, People talk about like you know perfecting a publication, but I, you know we went out with five. Like mm-hmm. I think if you try to perfect a publication, then you just never do it. I respect that. I just I just know personally, my personality wise is just different than that. Um, so I'd rather um, you know spend this year, uh, or I guess it's next year, um, mm-hmm. 2022, really figuring it out like solo and also understanding because I have to do everything myself, understanding where my own personal leverage is in that. Yep. Because I found a lot of times I would talk to people and I know they didn't mean anything by it, but like they would basically be like, why don't you stick to content? And I was like, okay, a couple things. One, <laughs> I can do whatever I want to do. Mm-hmm. And this is actually one of the reasons I wanted to be independent. And number two, I never did just quote unquote stick to content. And I don't like, just because you can't do content mm-hmm. does not, it seems like you're trying to box people out from this other stuff that you do do, but whatever. Uh, I want to find out, I want to try to do, I want to have, I have to do pretty much all of it, but then understand which areas I have like the least amount of leverage that I can like, you know, partner with or bring mm-hmm. someone in. Like, you know, for instance, like the podcast, like I just, decided fairly early on maybe not too early on because i kept going back and forth that i wasn't going to produce it myself like i was like i just i don't i want to have a i don't want to do that like i can figure out garage band or something like this but i wouldn't be good at it and Mm -hmm. i don't think it would be a great use of of you know limited resources which is time basically um and then can i can i ask you that can jump in there brian so uh, explain Pull the, pull the curtain back, right? How Explain to our audience how much content you're producing on a weekly basis and, and, and I'm building on what you just said, how you do it, right? Like like uh, your actual content product process. and making it and uh, process and just what you're keeping in-house and like things like that where you're finding something uh, to help you with the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I I send two, two editions a week. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, is just sort of, is is written by me it's just you know my view and i think um 
Uh, last week I, I did a I did a did a piece about BuzzFeed, but sometimes I do stuff that's just based on my experience of you know tackling specific challenges when building media businesses. Yep. Because um, I think it's you know useful and it's also just. I don't know. It's kind of what I want to do right now. Well, I'm um, your audience. That's why I have you on. It's okay, like a sweet spot. I mean, like reading your stuff about BuzzFeed and just, you know. But I, I, I don't want to be like, I do that sometimes, but I really want to be more practical and like in the weeds and stuff like this and less like, I feel like everyone's sort of, I think one of the challenges of publishing, whether, whether you have a podcast or a newsletter or anything for anyone, particularly if they're, if they're not like, you know, haven't been doing it for a long time is just consistency. I think everyone's it's consistency. And it's because it's like, well, doing, doing something once is one thing, but do it 52 times yep. and then do it the next year, 52 times. I don't know. Okay. Take two weeks off, do it 50 times, <laughs> but like, uh, but don't do it 30 times. Cause that's not consistent. And you know, that's the, the challenge. And I think a lot of times in this, that's why people, if you notice, I've, at least I've noticed, I would love to know the data of this more sub stacks. Like if you could like have some sort of AI program that like ingested all the sub sub stacks mm -hmm. and was able to determine whether they were based off of like some tweet that the writer saw. Um, I think that as time goes on, the, percentage of publications that are based on some tweet that the writer saw goes goes up mm -hmm. <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah because no. that's the easiest the easiest thing is to react to to something else that's why social media took off because the originality required is 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 far lower you know it's just it's derivative it's like someone says something you react something happens you react that's well, I mean, I, so, I think I think here's here's what I think, and I'm not pandering to you. This is why I, you're on here. I, I listen to your podcast. I, you know, I actually had Sean Griffey on a podcast recently too, right? Like, okay. and and I think there's a couple things here. Number one, um, if you're listening, go see for yourself. Go to the rebooting r e t h e r e b o o t i n g dot substack dot com and subscribe, and you'll see what we're talking about. I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, and, and I think that, um, you know, what I like, I think so many people, business, especially business magazines, it's such surface level, and the world's yeah. become so niche, right? And this is where I like what you're doing. This, I mean, you did it at Digiday. You're doing it again. And I feel like you and I had this conversation the last time around, people chasing scale, and, and, and you were like – uh, years ago chasing this uh, – you know, all these businesses rationalizing their their – Facebook numbers and their Twitter numbers and you're like, yeah, but how do you make numbers? You know, and it was, it was in, re in retrospect, it was pretty obvious to see that people were building flawed foundational businesses on other people's platforms. It was one of the themes you always talked about. But I, yeah. I, I think this is where I wanted to talk about because you talk to so many different people. What I have seen, it doesn't matter if it's B2C or B2B, and, and I've experienced this here at Teamworks and some of the media businesses we've built. There's this still this like barge called the brand agency buying process, right? Which is still seems to be really late to the party on appreciating what we just talked about. The value of, of six thousand emails as opposed to they could spend, you know, on something that's millions of people inefficiently and not get the six thousand people that you have or, you know, insert it's not just you, insert that. I'm curious if you're seeing the behemoth that is the the publicly held media buying, media planning agencies and brands. Are you seeing shifts towards appreciation and value of 
niche or is that more of the uh, minority than the majority of what's going on? And, and where do you think we are in that kind of big picture continuum yeah. as opposed to just going buying ESPN or Yahoo or wherever it's going to be, you know? Uh, I'm probably going to give an, an annoying answer, at least that I would I would be annoyed by. <laughs> like anything that goes into the it depends category. Um, but I, I do think that Yes, there's a recognition, like a strategic recognition of uh, that, you know, that of this flight to focus. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people see that. Yet, on the other side, there is an entire infrastructure that has been built up that is based off of the scale yep. uh, era. And so it's great to recognize that as like, Hey, the world is changing, but it's another thing when you built this large complicated machine in order to like move millions of impressions. And so what I've always noticed, um, over the years was that I would always say like a digital, I think when I left, it was like 75 people, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, that size company, it was really difficult for um, it's really difficult for small companies to do to, to interact with big companies and almost vice versa. The big companies, even if they're well-meaning, the people there are, are, are presumably just as nice as small companies or whatever. Or right. Thoughtful. Let's just let's just yeah. stipulate that broadly speaking. <laughs> the problem is and I've even dealt with this a little bit, you know, myself now. I, I had, thank God, like my first like client that was a really large company um, and dealing with the is totally different than dealing with like Silverblade. I mean, I'm dealing with Bernard, like, I mean, like, you know, that it's, there's upsides and downsides, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and and I just found that all the time is large companies have built up large infrastructure that almost requires them to interface with other large companies. Mm -hmm. It's like large dogs should probably hang out with other large dogs versus (laughs) You know, I mean, they, yeah. you see them and like, you know, the small dogs like barking at the big dog, the big dogs like, I think I want to play, but I might like kill this thing. Um, so I, I think that that is the, is the main issue is just um, the fact that they, you know, these, you know, the, the interstate highway system has been set up. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's so, yeah, it's well said. All right. <laughs> I want to be respectful of your time here. Got a couple of questions left. We'll jam in here. Yeah. Biggest uh, biggest mistake you've made in 2021. Oh my god. This year? Yep. Um I think on a sort of professional level, um at least with the rebooting, um I I, I spent too much I and this sort of goes against what I said. That's why it's really difficult to like um sort of gauge it is like i think i spent too much time like planning around the podcast or it wasn't even planning it was just procrastinating mm-hmm. um rather than just getting it out there and just i'm like i know what i'm doing like why 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 are you like i think i was just making excuses for mm-hmm. for not like moving faster um, okay. which was fine in 2020 uh, i guess the last few months right. of that but i should have moved faster with that um what about your biggest win? lesson biggest win biggest win yep um i think just the consistency overall like i mean i think i've been like consistent i haven't missed any weeks or Mm -hmm. anything like that um um you know every i think every single i think i took one week off at the end of last year but like uh you know ever ever since i started in like october 2020 uh, you know i 
you know, when I say I'm going to publish every Wednesday, I publish every Wednesday. And that mm-hmm. sounds like a small thing, but like once you like no, it's a, let it that is a slip, deal. <laughs> I mean, I think anyone who's like tried to follow a diet or done training programs or something like this, if you miss a day, it's not going to kill you. Mm-hmm. But what your your fear is, is that that becomes just sort of a regular thing. Like, you know, that's why, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're training like running for, you know, for a marathon or training for a marathon or something like this, like, yeah, it's pretty reasonable because it's like raining and cold to like skip that day. But pretty soon, like, you know, there's always something like cold rain out there. Yeah. No, it's windy. (laughs) Then the next thing it's too sunny. And then it's like, Uh, yeah, I missed my first, uh, I've done, I did 94 weeks in a row podcast until I missed one. It was, it was November of 2021. Yeah. I was like, and internally you're like, I'm self-aware enough to be like, the world's not, Oh my God, where's brand story yeah. Inc this week. But internally you're like, am I allowing myself? Yeah. That's the right? hard part Yeah, is because like, I would always draw, it's like, it's not as if like, let's say, you know, I haven't done the newsletter. Like on Wednesday, I don't publish the newsletter. Something happens or yep. something. Yeah, there's not going to be a bunch of people protesting out front. Right? Like, Where's my rebooty? Where's my rebooty? <laughs> like I just don't. I don't right. anticipate that right. happening. <laughs> and if you but do, what ultimate time, sign of success? I have to put. I know I've done. Mm-hmm. I've done. You know, been in this business long enough to know that there's a reason you have deadlines and there's a reason that you adhere to them. Um, you know, to me, in a very I've always been a little bit maniacal about that. And I think mostly because I know that that's important. That's kind of not natural for me. Like I'm a natural procrastinator and stuff. That's a challenge to overcome doing things solo is because, you know, one of the things that I think one of the big things I've missed with the team just personally is like actually having it forces you, you have a different level of accountability, or at least I would to like, other people like right like so like if you're like if you're leading a team you can't take the easy way out because like if you if you say oh we got to do this this way and then you don't do it then like they are going to know you're full of shit and so like you you, you're forced to be fairly accountable for all it doesn't mean you're going to be 100 percent, but you're forced it's like a natural guardrail whereas if you're doing stuff um you know just yourself you have to find a different level of, of self-accountability. Yeah, but the fights that you have with your boss when you're working for yourself are extraordinarily more interesting, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. All right, final that's question, true. my friend. But uh, there's also, I think, one of the good things that's interesting, it's like, it's like there's this, um, I live in Miami now, uh, although I'm probably moving back to New York soon. But like, uh, there's this like, you know, Miami's weird in so many different ways, but there's this, uh, uh, they have all these like outdoor exercise gyms mm-hmm. like by bus stops and stuff. And there's <laughs> one near me um, that I sometimes stop off at after after running. And there's a sign up that says like, uh, only you can make it happen. So make it happen. I'm like, <laughs> I felt like I was like looking at it like with my own like solo endeavor. I'm like, this is like speaking to me. Hey, Truman weird, Show. <laughs> this weird jungle gym uh, <laughs> by a bus stop in Miami. Final question for you, Brian. Uh, what are you reading for fun? What do I read for fun? You know what I've been going down, um, like many people, I've been going down the sort of crypto rabbit hole. Ah. Um, so I'm like currently, I've been slogging through this um, this book about the future of money and really under, trying to understand, because I've never really understood um, too much at 
all of finance and like really trying to understand like the concept of money and how it came to be and like even like beyond the surface area like the not too much beyond the surface area but like the role of central banks and commercial banks and stuff so i've been like trying to understand the foundational stuff because i think a lot of times with because crypto has started with particularly with finance and decentralizing finance is like you really need to know the basics of it and so i think that crypto is really interesting i I understand why people just um dismiss it but at the same time like i don't want to be like an old guy shouting out a cloud so i'm going to try to understand it so that's like one book but then even though i always think it's very dangerous to be reading two books i didn't feel like transporting that big finance book the other day so (laughs) i'm pairing it with with uh, I know this is very cliche, but um, I'm pairing it with uh, Snow Crash to understand the sci-fi aspect mm. of crypto because mm. I feel like I need to. Yeah, I feel like I need to understand. Um, it's on my list, but I haven't mustered up the mental state to do it. I've same way. I feel like obligated to read it. Yeah, I've never, I've never, I've never been into sci-fi, Mm-mm. but I feel like. I feel like one of the things with all this crypto stuff is like you feel like totally behind if you weren't into sci-fi, if you don't play video games, you know, it's like all the stuff I have working against me. And uh, and I'm like not like in my like 20s where everything new is like all of a sudden exciting. I'm like in my late 40s where everything new is like, ah, this is terrible. (laughs) I'm right there with you. Well, I got to connect you. I I don't normally do this on air, but I'm going to connect you with Joe Polizzi if you're not already because we recently had him um, former – he's the founder of the Content Marketing Institute, built it, sold it, and like you has had a similar journey and launched a new company called The Tilt which is all about helping the creator economy find their niche. But what he's done that's fascinating, and I'll, I'll put this in the show notes so people can see it. We recently had him on. He created his own crypto economy for his content community, which I think you have the potential yeah. to do as well. And so, you know, it's that's like cool. literally got his own tilt coin. And so, you know, yeah. his, the, the shared economy of community and – I think you're poised to be in that in that same camp. Yeah. So I, I mean, that's one of the. I mean, that's a reason that I really want to understand this. Is like, I, it's super early, and yep. I know that. But like, when you start to understand the concepts and stuff like this, and I don't pretend to understand the mm-hmm. different like, you know, right. technologies with proof. I mean, I know enough about proof of stake versus proof of work and stuff. But like in crypto, like pretty pretty quickly, you get in over your head. You gotta like yeah. be ready to paddle back yep. to, to the shallow end at least i do um but like yeah you start to understand to me like what's interesting is being able to connect the dots of understanding the sort of societal what's going on societally that like makes crypto inevitable to some degree um it doesn't mean that like you know all these revolutions never sort of pan out mm-hmm. as they're as they're sort of marketed if you will um but it doesn't mean that there's not profound change that is caused by them. So I always think, and I see this a lot. It's like people like do like black or white, like it's not yeah. all going to be dowels. It's right, like, well, no, right. it's not, but this is just a new form of like community-based ownership. Um, and you can start to see how it could be used to, um, you know, solve a lot of the, the problems of inequality and like the overwhelming power of, of um, centralized institutions and whatnot. So I think it's interesting intellectually from that uh, standpoint. Mm-hmm. I think 
you know, this year will probably be the year of like sort of a reality check and stuff. Cause you, you have to put meat on the bones at some point. You can't keep yep. using could, could, might, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Well, Brian, I appreciate your time. This is an awesome conversation. Where do you want yeah. people to follow you? How can they best find oh, you? Oh, uh, you know, the rebooting is, is that's the main thing. That's the rebooting.substack.com. My, the, the podcast is the rebooting show. Uh, it's available on, apple and spotify um right but also like every week i i i publish sort of highlights of the conversation and also um using substacks player the the, the podcast itself um and we'll put all that in the show notes and and brian okay. thanks so much for your time uh really yeah i appreciate, appreciate it thank you thank you thanks for listening to brand story inc we'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.